Welcome to Because We Make, the podcast about making creativity and why we do what we do as makers and creatives. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and Ethan Carter is in Rwanda. I know, I know. He's just such a humanitarian. He can't even help himself. He's always going, doing good things for other people. So I went back. I went way back, way, way, way back into the Wayback Machine, and I got a co-host for tonight. And I figured for the people that know us, it would be a special treat, like a little Easter egg to say to our friends that listen, hey, look who I brought in. But I always talk about how I did podcasts way back in the old days when you had to download them through an app or through iTunes and stick them on an iPod while it's hooked up to a computer. And one of the people I did podcasts with is my good friend and longtime pal, uh, I'm, I'm really nervous about introducing this guy because I feel like I didn't do him justice, but you know what? I'm just going to drag him on the one and only Chris Roberts. What's oh, up, you dude? Did, you did plenty justice. You, you <laughs> did fine. That was great. Thank you. It's oh. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I've watched this podcast grow and I've been so proud to see the work that you and Ethan are doing and, uh, happy to be a little part of it this week. It's it was it's weird because just for those of you that don't know, I mean, Chris is a creative person. He does he does website design. He does I do. photography. I do. He yeah. likes he's a radio guy like I, I was. Yeah. Um. Correct, yeah. So it's it's not like he's not a maker. He well, he's not a maker, but he is a creative, which is perfectly fine. That's I'm exactly I'm it. not a maker in the uh, traditional sense. I guess correct. You would say. I correct. I make. More uh, ethereal things. I'm a technologist, and I make things in. I like that. A technologist. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. And what I love um, so for those of you that may remember, way back in January of 2020, you know, before the whole world went to hell, um, <laughs> Chris actually is the person who invited me out to Vegas and took yes. me on that amazing photography and adventure in the desert weekend. Which and, was, and I was very happy to have you here in Nevada. Oh, and we need to get so you back fun. out here. You know, it's funny. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about Knight Rider. One of the episodes of Knight Rider was actually shot in, um, um, was it, um, the park. Oh, Jesus, my brain. Um, jo- Red Joshua Rock Canyon. Red, Rock, oh, Red Canyon. Rock Canyon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was actually shot on the road that we were on. Oh, and I no, looked at it no, and I'm, I'm like, kidding. Yeah, and I actually looked at one of the rocks and I'm like, Oh wow! I have a picture of that. And I, I showed it to Beth. That and rock. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I have a picture of that exact rock. It's right oh, that's here. funny. That's great. <laughs> so yeah, they closed off a part of it and they made it into like this abandoned road to a military. It was really really cool. And that's just, cool. Yeah, just seeing it and like, oh wow, that I was totally there. And then I've I've had other friends that have been posting pictures from Seven Magic Mountains, which you turned me on to, which yeah. makes no sense unless you've been to it. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, it's it's not anything it's just literally a pile of colorful rocks and that's fine that's that's okay that is las vegan culture yep uh, which which is fine that's just that's a bunch okay of colorful but, rocks <laughs> right but you know and and you and i talked about this when you were here last year in the before times uh you know growing up in the northeast it's been very surreal living here like the whole like i'm very 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 um, attracted to the desert landscape out here and just like Isn't the miles amazing? and miles of nothing. It's, yeah. it's so peaceful. I love going for drives out there. It's, you know, and I'm glad I was able to share that with you. It's, it's, you know, moving here a few years back. It's, I'm glad that I did. It's of course we're running out of water. Of course it's hot, <laughs> but yeah, it's, 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 it's awesome here. I'm we were driving when we were driving on Joshua tree national highway and just like, just there's nothing to the left of you. 
There's nothing to the yeah. right of you. There's nothing in front of you and yeah. there's nothing behind you. And that feeling of like, wow, it really is as big, if not bigger than it looks like when oh, you see yeah. it in pictures, it's like, oh, the desert is pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> it's the scale of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, taking a road trip this weekend, my first road trip in the new car, Ben. Ooh. Uh, yeah. And uh, the driving down to L.A. and, you know, that drive through the Mojave down to L.A. is just, you know, aside from the traffic, it's just a really cool drive. Uh, I'm itching. I'm itching to get back to L.A. Last time I was actually the last time I was in L.A. was two months before I was out to see yeah, you. That's so right. yeah, I remember. Ah, the good old days, the before yeah, right. times. <laughs> before times, yeah. Hey, listen, I'm traveling like uh, like nothing's nothing's happening. I was, uh, yeah, it's it's safe out there, man. Go ahead, go <laughs> sure. go. You're good. Hey, hey, I, I I've been, I got my, re- I got my shots. I'm not foaming at the mouth. I'm good to go. Something we, like 98 percent of the new cases here in Nevada are just unvaccinated people, and I feel bad for the kids that can't get vaccinated. Eh, but I mean, know. there's there's no excuse for adults at this point. But hey. Yeah. I don't want to get too spicy, Ben. I'm yeah, oof. No hot takes on this show. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the hottest take we have is what color paint are you going to use? And I mean, we do have to be especially nice because we have an actual Canadian oh, today. Oh. And Canadians are known for being really, really nice. And she's one of the nicest Canadians I know. In fact, um, one of the greatest things that happened during the COOF was I actually got to join up with a group of people, some that I knew, some that I didn't know. Um, when Morley Kurt formed the makers on zoom having coffee and one of the people who was in on the first, the very first one was our guest tonight, who at the time at the time was basically focused on making leather patches and has since basically blown up her business and is just doing crazy, amazing talent filled things. Um, we have the one and only Tennille Rosam. Hi, Tennille. Hello. I feel like I've known you forever, and yet I've barely known you a year, which is kind of crazy. I think it's a little more than a year. A little been... more. Yeah, it was like, what was it? May of, it was May of 2020 that we met. When I think he it did was the March. Fir- there was still snow on the ground, but I don't know. Oh, fair Time enough. Time has well, no meaning anymore. Well, you're in Canada. There's always snow on the ground, right? That is true. <laughs> that is true. So you're, when when I met you, your business was called... Well, you went by leather patches everywhere. Yeah. You changed a few months ago, I believe, to Rosam Designs, which really does kind of fit what you do a little better. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got started and all that fun stuff? Yeah. So uh, I've actually been doing leather work for like 16 years or so. Oh wow! Um, I got started like I grew up. Uh, I grew up in the rural part of Manitoba and had horses and and things. And when I had my horse, the the tack, the horse gear that was available and trendy at the time, uh, was very very decked out and covered in jewels and bling, and it was extremely unattractive. And I liked watching westerns, and so. I like that aesthetic and I could never find anything that, that suited me and I could never find anything that would last for the money that I was paying. So I decided that there must be a better way. So I sketched, uh, I, I recorded some of my favorite Westerns on VHS tapes and then I paused it at spots and I used a sketchbook and I drew what I wanted my ideal horse bridle to look like. And then I took it to a, uh, 
took it to a friend of a friend who had a cobbler shop in a town near me. And I asked him if he would make it for me. And he said that he would, but it would be very expensive because of all the labor. But he said if I paid for the materials, he would help me. Um, he would teach me how to how to do it. Oh, wow. And then it would, you know, be cheaper for me. And uh, so I went to his, I showed up at his, at his workshop and I, and I worked and I, and I made it and uh, made the bridle. And that was, that was about it. Wow. And uh, after that, he, he was, you know, happy enough with my, with my skills and, you know, my potential. So I ended up just working for him in his cobbler shop and we would uh, clean horse harness and fix saddles and uh, do shoe shoes and custom work and all sorts of things. And yeah, I did that for many years with him. And then he decided he wanted to focus more on uh, some different stuff. So he, uh, I bought some stuff off of him and he gave me some stuff and I just took it home and started uh, doing it on my own. That's amazing. That's amazing. So basically a chance encounter with a cobbler essentially turned you into the leather worker you are today. Yep. Just uh, a lot of luck. That's, that's crazy. So one of the things that I love about your work and, you know, I've actually bought some of your work and one of the pieces that I bought was a custom that, you know, I just sent you a picture of and I'm like, can you make this? And you said, of course I can make this. And you're very good at translating picture into leather. And I'm not just talking about like outlines, you know, stuff like that, but you're also really, really good at, you know, using the different stamps and stuff to create depth and texture. And it's just, it's fascinating to watch. And I can only imagine how much practice it must've taken to get to the point where that was like your, your kind of your niche. Cause I feel like that is your niche, like the custom, like almost branded look on stuff, but you also do like painting, you do all these crazy textures, all the, it's absolutely fantastic. The stuff that you make. Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely like, like I've always been a very artistic person. Like I, I've always enjoyed sketching and using like oil pastels and, and things. And so this seemed like a natural, uh, transition maybe I and, should say. And one of the craziest things to me is that <laughs> so we were talking once and I'm like, so what do you, what software do you use? And, you use AutoCAD. Yep. <laughs> like, wait, what? You use Auto? Who the hell uses AutoCAD to do what you do? I don't know anyone that uses something like AutoCAD to do what you do, like at all. That's so crazy to me. It's it's easy. It's great for drafting patterns because I can just. I mean, I'm. I know it's not the only program that can do this, but I can just draw things at you know one to one scale and put in exactly the measurements I want. Mm-hmm. And then print it at one-to-one scale, which is really nice. And it's just, it's a program I'm familiar with already and that I already have. So, you know, why, why change it if it works? I kind of like how you've managed to like mingle the classic skills like of leather work and handmaking stuff out of leather. And then like one of the most popular CAD programs that's ever existed in the world, <laughs> like kind of just kind of dragging them together. Going, yep. This is how I'm going to design this stuff now. Is there... Is there anything that you feel like defines your work? Like what says this is a Tennille Rosen piece? Like, is there something about your stuff that you feel like is unique to you or unique to your style? I'm not sure. Um, I think I would like, I kind of wish I had a more defined sort of art style, mm-hmm. but I, that's something I'd really like to work on. Maybe do a little bit more hand drafting and not so much computer. Right. But- I don't know if I really have. I mean, I have my book straps. I really like those. And those I have my, my reading accessories. 
is kind of what I've been leaning into a little bit. And I want to get into more of like some journaling, making some pen, um, like stationary things. Mm-hmm. But I think my book straps are kind of my my uh, unique products. I do. I do. <laughs> the pictures of them are so great. You've also what I what I love about what I love about your mindset is you're always trying to do a little more. Like it, if it's not the product itself, it's even the photography. And you've been working a lot recently on just upgrading your your ability to take photos and the way you stage your stuff and taking better product photos. You just recently went through a whole redesign of your website. I mean, you really are pushing hard to take this, you know, to the next level. You you, you start, you go for it for a while, and you're like, okay, I can upgrade this, I can upgrade that. So everything's getting little upgrades as you go. It's kind of amazing to watch. Oh, thank you. Yes, I've. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I don't have a a proper job, so to speak, right now. So I certainly have the time to work on this. And I mean, I kind of would like this to be my proper job. So I figure I'm just gonna keep keep trying and keep improving and just always looking at what my sort of weak link is, so to speak, and just you know improve that and then look at what the next weak link is. And yeah, just uh, just keep trying to do a little bit better every day. Do you have, do you have them like, that's interesting because a lot of people that do what we do, and I say we meaning, you know, makers and people who have creative, basically creative side hustles, they're always trying to kind of just doing a little more and a little more until hopefully one day it's their thing. Is that, I guess that's what you're shooting for while you're trying to get everything sorted out. You're trying to grow that to the point. So you want this to be, you're not just doing this as a side hustle. You're doing this with the intention of it being your only hustle. Yeah. I mean, I I have been looking for sort of uh, proper work lately, mm-hmm. but the market isn't, isn't super great right now. And I mean, maybe it's a sign that I should just keep working at this. And yeah. if while I'm you know, applying for jobs and looking for jobs and also putting in a lot of time into this. If it just ends up that this is what makes me money, then I'm okay with that. And you can stop looking, right? Yeah, <laughs> basically. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, I mean, good for you though. I, I mean, you know, speaking as someone who has also taken a leap to, you know, work for themselves, you know, I, I kind of came to a realization during COVID that I have absolutely no desire to ever seek employment anywhere else ever again. Mm. So, you, you know, it's, you know, you've taken definitely the more honorable route in, you know, parlaying an actual craft and an actual skill uh, <laughs> in, into, you know, into this work. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I was talking to, to Vinny, you know, when he asked me to, to hop on the show and I'm absolutely mesmerized by anyone who is skilled with, you know, leather craft and, you know, working with leather. It's just absolutely like mesmerizing to watch. Um, and, you know, looking through your work, Tanil, it's, you know, you're, you're obviously very skilled. So, I mean, you know, lean into it. That, that would be my word of encouragement for you. Go, go make this your, <laughs> your you know, ruin it for yourself because, you know, work ruins everything. Um, but that, that got bleak. I'm sorry. My, no, my that's, bad. Um, that, that's a perfectly fair, uh, perfectly fair comment. That is actually one of my fears and one of my, uh, little hesitancy is I don't want this being a job to kill the passion, which oh sure it kind of does sometimes because if I'm relying on this to pay the bills, I don't have the luxury of being picky over the uh, commissions right. that I get, mm-hmm. or at least not yet. I mean, ideally, I'd have enough offers that I could pick and choose, but right now, 
if I, if somebody says make me this, then I'm probably going to say yes. Yeah. I have had that conversation and you know I've talked about it a few times on the show recent in recent weeks, but I've had that conversation a lot recently with other people doing various things like we do and it's the same thing, you know, they feel like oh, it's nice to have all these commissions, but then there are times where the commissions feel just utterly stifling where it's like, oh, I have nothing to do but commissions and I cannot do a single fun thing right now. Like it's just all, oh, you want me to make that? Sure. You're going to pay me good money? Sure. I really don't want to do that again, but I really like the money. Like I need the money. And that's, I, I worry about that all the time. I I know that I've kind of said a few times where I'm I'm happy that I have enough things that I can pivot to that if I, you know, like if woodwork doesn't really stick around, I can do something else, but it still gets to the point where you're like, Oh, but do I want to do the something else for somebody? And then do I want to do the next something else for somebody? And then just keep doing every something else for somebody else. It just, I do have that same fear that, you know, it's going to be the passion's just going to fade because it becomes, it becomes the job. And then what do I end up doing? Well, I'll probably end up doing the stuff I do at the day job as my side hustle just to get away from the stuff I loved doing before. <laughs> but but that's, a, that's a comfortable transition to make though, right? You know, the inversion of your main hustle and your side hustle. And yeah. that's something, you know, I've, I've discovered. And, and again, you know, I'm, I'm not skilled. Like, you know, I, I've kind of made my side projects an actual job, but there's been an inversion between like, what I would call my day job and mm-hmm. the work that I'm doing now. And it's honestly made my day job hundreds of times more bearable. So, you know, that, that inversion Vin is interesting, kind of like what you're talking about, how your main yeah. hustle will just kind of naturally become the side hustle. Um, and, and yeah, like I, I, it's a concern for me too. Like I want to make sure that, you know, the stuff that I've kind of thrown myself into as a side project doesn't become onerous or burdensome. And so, you know, Daniel, I really appreciate that. Do you really I appreciate feel, that concern? Do you feel like the, do you feel like the side hustle actually starting to become the hustle or becoming the hustle? And then your hustle becomes your side hustle. Do you feel like it's almost like having FU money? Like, you know, like, look, I'm only putting about 60% or 70% into this, but if I put a hundred percent in, I could put it to the floor and really show off. Like I still, I'm starting to think like, because I noticed a change in my business. I went from working a five-day-a-week work week to a four-day-a-week work week. And the change was monumental yeah. in how I started looking at things. Like Fridays, maybe if I don't take Friday and work, like I like having the weekday off, then Saturday and Sunday, it's pedal to the metal for the whole weekend until 7 o'clock Sunday when I'm done getting all the stuff that needs to be shipped out done. And I always wonder like, hey, maybe this is maybe this is how it's supposed to go for me. Maybe maybe the next step is a three day work week and then the next step is a two day work week. And then eventually, oh, yeah, you guys, when you need me, you call me and I'll work on a contract basis. Like I've had that. I've had these conversations in my head so many times. I if it's okay with you, Vin, I kind of want to go back, you know, more directly to to Neil. And and I'm curious, what, what is what is your most favorite thing to make? My most favorite thing in uh for for leatherwork? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I think it's just when I can just make something that I want to make and I just have full creative decision and I can just sort of not necessarily think about what I want in the end beyond this is just going to be 
a notebook cover by the end, but I can make up the, you know, I can just decide halfway through, oh, I want to tool a flower on it and then I'm going to paint, you know, I haven't tried this color of paint yet and it's been sitting on my shelf, so let's try it on this flower and I can just try different things. Um, that's my favorite because I just get to, you know, be artistic and not have to worry about meeting the expectations of a client or something. Right. And, uh, and then be happy with the end result and, and learn some things and, uh, and then hopefully sell the end result and make some money. Did you, did you ever go through, because one of the things that, one of the common things I end up hearing from people when they're starting out is they go through basically like, I don't know, client anxiety, I guess we would call it, where people would be like, oh yeah, no, I want to do this for other people. I want to do this for other people. And then you get the other people and you finish it and you go, oh no, I, I, this isn't like, this isn't good enough. Like I can't, I can't get, I can't do this. I can't do this. What am I doing? I must be insane. Cause I'm not going to lie. I, I've had it very, I've had it a few times recently even. And it's, it's the, it's paralyzing sometimes. And I'm wondering, cause I know what you do is way more handcrafted, way less machine oriented than the stuff I do. And I'm just wondering if you go through that probably either to a higher extent or is it more like, eh, my stuff is more handmade and artistic. I can get away with something. that's not exactly what I wanted when it visualized in my head. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So it really depends. Like it's kind of a client to client basis. Mm-hmm. Um, some, like I have, I have some clients that will say like, Oh, can you make me um, a phone wallet? And I want, you know, a guitar on it and here's my money and that's it. And they just trust my artistic creativity and, and direction. And they're just happy that, you know, that whatever I present as the final product is going to be good. Mm-hmm. Those clients are really good. Um, I have some clients or I've have have, excuse me, I have had some clients that are very, very needy and very specific and, like, I've had people send me, like, paint swatches saying, I want the leather to be this color. And then I have to explain <laughs> that it's not that simple. It's not a, it's not a canvas, dude. It's leather. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, like, I I remember I made, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is an, an actual thing, but I find that the small projects, like the $20 little key fobs or things like that, those are the... Sometimes those are the people that I've had that have been a little more picky and mm-hmm. I don't a little more needy to be honest. I mean, I haven't <laughs> done a lot of them, but um you know, I would do something and then send them a picture of it and there's a natural you know, variance in the way that the leather took the dye because leather is a natural product. It's it's like wood in that it has grains and it's got spots that are, you know, going to absorb finishes a little bit different and it brings out the character. And some people look at that character and they just think it's it's a blemish or it's or it's a mistake. And they're like, oh, you're going to fix that, right? And it's like, <laughs> well, no. <laughs> no, it's leather. <laughs> like this, this is the beauty of leather. If you want just a flat, matte, perfect thing, you know, then maybe leather is not what you right. maybe you're in the wrong medium <laughs> yeah so what I, I love that you were able to do that though you were able to so you made a custom piece for me back in september or october of last year i think it was yeah that sounds about right i'm gonna go with that yeah it was it was september october ish and you finished it and showed it to me and i'm like that's perfect and you're you actually said 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I remember I'm going, no, it's fine. Really? It's, that's fine. And you're like, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm like, no, Tennille, really? It's fine. <laughs> no, I'm not. And then you redid it. And I saw the redone one. I'm like, oh crap. She's right. That's much better. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to wonder like, okay, I know I was, I was more like, I'm happy with it as it is. It was your own artistic sensibility kicking in, but it's amazing to me that you had that level of like, I don't want to say care. Cause of course you have a lot of care. You're making this stuff, but there kind of is a certain surprise that hit me when it's like, wow, she's a real artist because this doesn't go out the door until she's happy with it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it may not be perfect, but you're going to be happy with it or it's going to stay there until you are. I mean, it's great for the end result, but I find that, I mean, for, for recreating the patch that you wanted, you know, there w- there was a certain color palette that it had to be within. So for that, I was a little concerned. Like, I wanted to get it as close as I could. But for, you know, if, if someone just says, oh, I want it to be blue, then I'm going to try for maybe a certain blue. But if it doesn't turn out, you know, it might there might be a little more leeway there. But, uh, like, I'm, I'm really happy with that perfection level of perfectionism I have. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. it, it can be difficult because if I quote, you know, if I quote a price to a client and I know in my head I can do it in two hours and then all of a sudden I get all like in my head about making it perfect and they sink four hours into it, then I'm, you I've know, seen losing you do money. This. I've seen you do this, by the way. You've done yeah, this I do a this. few times. <laughs> I do this, this is kind of my thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. I, I, I feel like that's kind of the, I don't know, that's kind of the, the charm of it, right? You're getting something handmade. You're getting some uh, something from someone who's, I don't want to say obsessed, but like mildly obsessed, we'll say. Yeah, with With a, term. a level of quality, right. So, <laughs> you know, if, if t- just folks, if you're going to order something from Tennille, here's the lesson. If she tells you four hours, she's actually spending eight and the price is probably lower than it should be. So just don't worry about pricing. <laughs> so, so the question now is, you're in you're in Canada, and I always wonder. I've never asked you this, so now I'm curious. Where are, are most of your customers local? Are they starting? I know you just redid your website, but are you ex- expecting it to be mostly web based business, or is you know do you do a lot of business with the United States? Like, where is your business? Where do your items end up? Where where's your primary um, customer base? Well, um, I still I still do quite a bit of selling through my Etsy store. Um, I am trying to dial that back a little bit, but while I still have listings that I've paid for, I'm going to just leave them up. Uh, I do make about two or three sales a month from Etsy, and it's almost always uh, U.S. customers. And hmm. for the majority of the time that I've had my Etsy, it's it's been the majority of my customers have been the um, from the states. I have been getting quite a bit of local work lately just from word of mouth. And I have a couple of customers that are, that are repeat customers. Um, You know, I've done a job for them and they were happy and then they would come back to me for other things. And, uh, and I've got just some, some local friends from my, you know, my uh, small social circle. Cool. I was actually, uh, I was actually out at my favorite pub for one of the first times since COVID because now they're allowed to open again. And uh, I saw one of my friends there and he had a wallet that I had actually made for him in July of 2016. 
and he oh, still wow. had it and he showed it to me and it looked it was I'm actually quite happy with how it's aging. And uh and then he ended up uh commissioning a phone wallet off of me, so that's going to be one of my upcoming commissions. That's fantastic. That's the one thing that people don't take into account with leather. You know, you get it fresh and brand new and it's like, oh, this looks really good. And then six months down the line, a year down the line, a year and a half down the line, that's when it really starts to look like what it's supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. Like That's when, that's when all that, you know, in metal, I don't know, is it patina on leather? I mean, I know in metal, we call it a patina, but is it a patina or just kind of like the effect of a patina that just nice aged, the, the grain pops a little better. The die sinks in, the edges smooth out. It's just that's when that's when leather wallets get to be their best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, patina for sure. I, I hear a lot of people use that word. I think it's probably the only word that's really appropriate, right? Yeah. So I got to ask. I have to ask one big question because I w- I was putting together. So I ch- I cheated a little today because I had an idea of what we were going to talk about because I know you reasonably well. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about is well, what's up with the bees. <laughs> oh, I just really like bees. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those of you that are for those of you that are following along and aren't familiar with Tenniel's work, there is a lot of bee stuff in Tenniel's work, like a lot. And it's it's really interesting like how you've integrated bees into everything like bees and honeycomb and I, I like even even when it's not an actual bee, there's honeycomb involved. <laughs> it's kind of cool actually. Yeah, um, I just I just really like bees i don't know i uh last summer we had quite a bit of flowers i had quite a bit of flowers in my in my garden out back and uh i would always just go out there and look at all the different bees that were you know hanging out and and i discovered that there are many 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 different species of bees and i managed to see multiple ones in the garden and you know learn about them and i don't know i just i've always i've always liked them and they're they're fun to uh to incorporate into my work and it's also a good excuse to use my gold glitter paint yeah and and the color right i want Mm -hmm. that's something something you do more than the other people i know that do leather is you're not afraid to put color on leather like you are you'll you'll use bright 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 colors there's um there's one i think it's a wallet that you had in your instagram it was like a blue a blue a white pale blue flower and it's like, wow, that's on leather. And then, and then you had that, oh, the the pink flower belt buckle too. Like you really do just embrace putting color on leather. It's unbelievable. I, I do like color. It's uh it's fun. <laughs> it's 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 almost like weird for leather. Because usually people just stamp something or you'll get some dyes, you'll get an overall color, but I've never seen anyone. In fact, one of the things I have from you is a rainbow heart that you painted and it's just, it's beautiful in person. Like I've never seen leather that color before. And it's, it's interesting. It's unique. Maybe that's maybe, you know what? Maybe I just answered my own question for before. Maybe that's your unique thing. You're not afraid to use color on leather. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would totally call that unique. There are quite a few artists that also use a lot of color that I, you know, I, I follow their stuff and am inspired by it, but yeah, I, I certainly do. I do like my style that I have for it. One of the one of the things that Chris noticed um, when I sent him your information to uh, look over, he he said, "Hey, is she making your book things?" <laughs> I just had a good laugh about it. Like, yeah, a lot of people make those. A lot of people, but I've never seen anyone make them out of leather. That's really interesting. When did you get the idea for that one? 
you know what I've kind of always I've always wanted to like for quite a long time Mm -hmm. and I always thought it would be interesting to incorporate with my book with my book straps Mm -hmm. and then one of my friends uh she just ended up sending me a thing on on Pinterest and she just sent me a picture of one of them that she found on Pinterest just like a regular wood one or I don't know what it was but and then right away I texted her back and I'm just like do you want me to make this out of leather and she's like have you ever done that and I'm like no but I've been wanting an excuse so thank you <laughs> that's kind of cool right you can actually turn a commission into an excuse to be creative right Yes, for sure. And uh, there's so many projects that I that are sort of on my bucket list or, you know, things that I've always wanted to try big and small. And oftentimes I just need an excuse to, to try it. Right. Yeah. And and that's that's actually those are the projects that you end up enjoying the most, I think, because you're 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 getting paid for them and you still get to, like, stretch your legs creatively a little bit. You're not just sitting there experimenting or whatever. You're actually this is going to make you a couple of bucks, which is always nice. You, you mm-hmm. even do like I've the pet portraits. You've, you've integrated pet portraits and I, it's just amazing to me, the kind of things you put in leather. And I know you don't have a laser, you don't have a CNC, you don't have any of the tools that people would traditionally use to, well, not traditionally, but in the modern day, I guess, used to do this stuff. You do it all by hand with a swivel knife and stamping tools and stuff. It's, it's, it, it boggles my mind when I see what your ma- the level of detail you can accomplish just with just with the tools that you use because you're not using any tools that a normal person can't just walk into like a Tandy leather and buy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously you're probably using better tools than that now, but they are the same tools even if they are you know a higher grade of tool. <laughs> you know what? I am actually just using Tandy leather uh, stamps for my stuff. Really. My, uh, yeah, my, they're, they're the pro line that they used to have. It's since been retired, mm-hmm. but it was, uh, yeah, it's the majority of my stamps are, are pro line. My swivel knife is, is a uh, very fancy. I spent, um, I spent some, some good money on my swivel knife. But, uh, <laughs> and, and your stitching pony set. <laughs> oh, I have so many stitching ponies. I have a herd now. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the things that one of the things I like about you. I mean, you are from for, for people that aren't familiar with Canada. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Manitoba so we can kind of all be we can all have the visual picture here because you're really there's a couple of pictures in your feed and I've seen pictures, you know, over the year that I've known you, you you're really into horses. I've seen, you know, in your stories, you riding horses. And what's Manitoba like for people that aren't from Canada and don't really know much about Canada? Manitoba is pretty flat for the most part. Well, I guess around where I am, it's it's really flat. Um, I think if you go more east, it gets quite hilly. Mm-hmm. Um, Winnipeg has a lot of trees. Like, I live in Winnipeg in the city. I think we've got the most trees of any um, large population city in, in Canada, which is really nice. we got lots of parks, lots of green space. Gotcha. Um, other than that, so you're basically like a lot of the Midwest of the U.S. Basically, is just kind of flat, open spaces, and yeah, gotcha. yeah. There's nothing really too uh, too fancy about it. I mean, we got we have a lot of rivers around here too, which has made um, which has made Winnipeg a nightmare for navigation because we're you know the planning is all at the mercy of the rivers. <laughs> yeah, that's that doesn't sound fun. No, that does not sound fun. Do you um? 
you still, I don't, I, did COVID affect your horse riding or did not? Or like, I don't know how that works. Like, do you, like, I know you obviously don't, you're not like one of those people, or maybe you are. Do you have your own horse? Do you have your, or do you have friends with horses? Like, what's that situation? So my parents have uh, have 20 acres of land in the out oh, wow. in a rural, rural area. Okay. And so I've got my horse out there and then my dad also has three other horses and like goats and pigs and all sorts oh, wow. of animals. And uh, so my horse lives out there. Uh, oh, so you do, you do have, so that horse that I always see in your pictures is actually your horse. Yep. She's mine. I've had her for, I got her when she was a baby. I actually saw her be born. Oh, wow. And then I, I have pictures of her when she was like a day old. She's super cute. And, uh, and then I ended up purchasing her when she was six months old or so. And, uh, she's 22 now. Oh, wow. So yeah, I've had her for a little while. 22. That's so I don't know much about horses, but how old do horses generally get to be? Like what's the average age of a horse? Like oh, about, uh, 25 or 30 is, uh, oh, okay. is, is about it. Yeah. So she's a senior, so she's like a senior horse, basically. Yeah, she's in, she's super healthy for, for it though. That's good. But, uh, but yeah. That's good. And take her out. Do you still take her out regularly or is it, I you know, whenever you can? Yeah, I haven't lately. Um, just between like with COVID for a while, our restrictions here are like, I don't have a car, so I wasn't able to get out there. And because of our restrictions, you know, technically I wasn't even allowed to get a ride with anybody because you weren't supposed to socialize with anyone outside your household, um, all different things. And uh, just before we got vaccinated, I didn't want to be hanging around my parents too much, you know, in case they got sick from me or something. Mm -hmm. So just lots of caution and uh, go figure now that everybody's vaccinated and everything's open and we can all hang out again. Now we're in this like super major heat wave drought. (laughs) So... You too, I, huh? <laughs> yeah. So if I do go out there, I can I can visit and hang out and help my dad with some some farm chores, but I can't. I mean, I'm not going to go riding when there's a heat wave that's cruel. <laughs> so I know so. you're. I know you're like. I know you live kind of in a like a, a suburbs a suburban area slash city. But do you do you miss being like a farm girl or is like yeah. where 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 is your heart? Where would you want to live given a choice? If I uh, if I had the money to do it, I'd want a piece of land that was largely bush and just put a little homestead on there and a and a workshop and uh, and just do that. I'd be pretty happy. I can imagine. I can imagine you having like a giant barn with like a leather shop on one side and maybe starting to learn blacksmithing and becoming like an amateur farrier on the other side. <laughs> that that would be pretty fun. Yeah, I mean it's. I almost feel like, you know, it's funny because we know in, in the U.S. we know so little about Canada. Like, I'm, I'm not even going to lie. I, I know, you know, I talk to like Morley or I talk to Grant and it's like, you guys are in like major cities. And I feel like, okay, that I get that. It's pretty much New York where I live and not that different, you know, just nicer people. And, you know, but then when you start, when I met you and you're like, yeah, I have horses and we have lots of land and there's a lot of open spaces. I'm like. What? All I knew about Manitoba, all I knew about Manitoba was the Winnipeg Jets. That was all I knew about Manitoba. <laughs> I knew nothing else whatsoever about Manitoba at all. So we yeah. don't know anything. <laughs> well, I mean, like I am, I am living in the in the city now in Winnipeg, but even mm-hmm. the area I'm living in, it's like it's not 
super packed or anything. Uh, there's lots of, again, lots of parks around. I could, I could cycle to any number of parks. There's walking trails down by the river that's very close. And there's, there's no shortage of nature around for sure, which is really, really nice. It is nice, right? Like you get, I, I feel like that's one of the things I love about living where I live. Like I'm far enough away from the city where there's a family of deer that just every once in a while just sits down in my backyard and I'll look out my back window and there's five or six deer sitting in my grass. And it's like, ah, yeah, I don't <gasps> live in the city anymore. <laughs> there was a, in an area of, a, of the city called Transcona, which is, mm-hmm. uh, everybody, everybody makes fun of it. Called They call it Trash Kona, of course, because that's what you do. Well, but, why wouldn't uh, you, right? <laughs> there, there was a news article that the police had to, ca- had to catch a bear. There was a bear wandering around in the neighborhoods. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. That's, that's, well, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised by that, though, because we have, um, so just south of me is New Jersey, and New Jersey is constantly having problems with black bears. Constantly. They're just all over the place. Just, Black just, bears. No, just north of you is New Jersey too, Vin. <laughs> right. The running joke with Chris and I is that I actually live in New Jersey, not New York. So <laughs> it's true. I've confirmed it. He's in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> it was very funny. The first time I first time Chris came to this house, I actually drove here. And one of the fastest ways to get here is to make a quick shot through Jersey and then turn around. And when the sign came up that said, welcome to New Jersey, he made sure he took a picture of it so he could send it to me every time <laughs> we talk about it's it. It's true. I have the proof. Yep, you do have the proof. Oh, sorry, Ben. I just, I you, you put the bait out there for me. I, hey, you I, know, sometimes I'm you throw a softball. Somebody's got to take a swing I, at I, it. I'm a I'm a weak man. Uh, so, can can I ask a question? I've oh, I've been thoroughly enjoying this conversation. This is this has been a lot of fun to listen to. And and Tanil, um, Vinny kind of mentioned a few of like his in his imagination. You know the the different. Uh, the the different sorts of things you'd be doing in your big barn in on your homestead in the bush um have you like what other you know like what other mediums have like you considered exploring you know i know vinny said that you know you're painting and you know you're doing a lot with you know a lot of leather work um but i mean where where you know what what other things do you think you know you're interested in or you know you want to take on next Oh, I don't know. Um, I mean, if I had all the time and the money in the world, I'd like to get into uh, like horsehair braiding. I've seen some really, really nice jewelry. Like you do, you take the horsehair and you do like really, really fine, fine braiding and you keep building upon it. And, oh, I, uh, and I didn't even it, know that was a thing. Yeah, it, it's totally a thing. Like it's a very niche thing, but obviously, but uh, it's always fascinated me. And I've seen like, I don't have any now, but I've seen like horsehair jewelry pieces and different, different little things. And uh, yeah, that's always been really neat. There was, there was a lady, uh, she doesn't do it anymore, but um, she's in sort of my rural neighborhood there out where my parents are. And if your, if your horse died, she would take, you could uh, commission her and you give her, you know, a big bunch of tail hair or something. And she would braid it into some sort of like keepsake memory piece and like just beautiful, beautiful stuff. Oh, wow. So that would be neat to get into. I'm actually looking on Etsy now because as you were talking and there's a person on here that sells. Wow. I didn't, I really didn't know this is a thing. That's so cool. They look almost like buddy bracelets from the, um, from the night, the eighties and nineties. That's kind of what they look like. They're they're beautiful. Wow. That's a very specific skill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean like there's, there's again, there's all sorts of different stuff and 
that, you know, I'm sure the possibilities can be pretty endless. Do you find yourself, do you find yourself um, feeling like you're a bit pigeonholed doing leather? No. Okay. Um, actually, <laughs> the only thing that I find is that with the, you know, with the introduction of things like lasers and, and different things like that, I'm finding that the prices for some things are going down or what people want. Like oftentimes people want me to make something and then they want something laser engraved into it. Mm. And I can't do that because I don't have a laser. And that kind of uh, hobbles me for a lot of work. But that mm. being said, I also like, I kind of like not having any of that in my work. Um, well, your, I, stuff, I, your stuff, the charm, the charm of your work, the attraction of it is that is it's hand done, right? Yeah, like, I can for sure. totally picture you doing the the horsehair bracelets, this you know, the same way, you know, horsehair braiding that way. You know, it's it's hand done. That's that's mm-hmm. why you buy it because it's hand done. Yeah, that's fin- I, that's. I I can't imagine you. I, I you know I've tried in the past. Like I was like, wow, if she had a glow forge. It would be amazing because she can cut patterns and whatever. And I'm like. I don't think she'd like it. Like, I feel like you are just, you're kind of a throwback that way, the way you do stuff. Like just nope, no lasers, no, no tech. All right. Maybe the technology of AutoCAD, but you know, the the actual work is done with your bare hands, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I like AutoCAD because it's fast because I I hate doing pattern drafting. It's just, (laughs) I I just hate it so much, but I understand that it's like a necessary thing. So I Mm -hmm. use AutoCAD and I get it done as quick as I can. And then if I need to adjust anything, it's so much easier to do that than if I did it by hand. And then I can get to the fun stuff faster. How is your... How has your family reacted to the stuff that you do? Like, is there, are they supportive of it or are they just like, oh, that's a cute thing that you do. That's nice. Let's go make some actual money in a job. Like, how do they, because I've always, I always see people when they have, um, especially a craft, a craft skill and they're trying to grow it into something, you know, I almost feel like people around don't want to say anything. So they'll humor you, you know, you know, that kind of feeling where it's like, Oh, you're not really enjoying what I'm doing here. You're just kind of looking at it. Mm-hmm. How do your parents and your family feel about the stuff that you're doing? Are they supportive or is it like, Oh, okay. This is just a thing that she does. That's just a side hustle. It's never going to be anything more like, do you get yeah. a read on that? Oh, they've, uh, they've always been pretty supportive. I mean, I think, I think they would prefer I have a proper job, so to speak, just for the security of it. Of course. <laughs> but uh, Adults love that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they've never been, they've certainly never been unsupportive of it. And, That's uh, good. And I mean, especially now when I am between jobs, it's, I mean, I'm sure they're happy that I can take care of myself a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm, I, I have nothing, no, no income at all. That's the that's the funny thing, right? Because when it starts to actually produce, then people start. I almost feel like you almost have to hit that point with a hobby that becomes a side hustle, where it's they don't take it seriously until it's actually starting to make you some money, and it's like, oh, oh, you can make money doing that. Okay, cool. Yeah, once you cross that point of uh, getting more money out of it than you're dumping into it, <laughs> which a lot of us are still struggling with. Believe me, <laughs> a lot of us are still struggling with. It. Oh yeah, tr- trust me. I'm uh, I'm always doing super well until I until I replace or upgrade a tool, and then I got to start all over again. Well, that's an interesting that's an interesting angle for the discussion because you are you readily admitted, you know, that you're not you know you're not just 
awash in cash. So, but leather, I mean, I, I know, I know the thing is like, oh, leather is approachable. Yeah, it's approachable. It's also expensive to get good leather. So, how are you balancing? How are you balancing the financial aspect of doing this? I mean, you're buying. You have to buy findings. You have to buy dyes. You have to buy paints. You have to buy tools. You have to buy the actual leather. Like, how are you? How are you managing to balance all that? Okay, so my secret with that is that because I've been doing this for so long and because I've dabbled in so many different things, Mm -hmm. I have so much stuff in my workshop that I typically don't need to buy a lot of new stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's convenient. I have, um, I've got a utility plastic storage shelf, but like a big heavy duty one, right? It can, it can take some good weight. Mm -hmm. It's, um, four shelves, high goes right to the ceiling of the basement and that thing is like crammed with leather it's absolutely crammed with leather oh wow i've also got two large uh like tupperware garbage cans like the big heavy duty ones that are completely overflowing with scraps and then i've got another bin that's just cut off strapping from book straps so as far as leather goes yeah like i I can almost always find leather that will work for the project. That's interesting. So you're starting out. I like the way this is going. So you're starting out with the, the actual thing and just going, okay, um, that leather works. Let's use that. It's not like I need this because you know, woodworker, I'm like, I need walnut. I'm out of walnut. I need to buy walnut. Mm-hmm. You, you have like, Oh, I can make, I can make this work for this project. That's kind of cool. Actually. Yeah, like I've got everything from like I've got an entire shelf on that on that unit that's dedicated just to veg tan leather, which is the only leather that that can be carved and painted. Mm-hmm. So, and I've got all different weights and different qualities. And then for all of the other leather, I have everything from the harness leather, which I use for my book straps and my book page holders. Basically, anything that's in that brown is that harness leather. And then I've got lighter weight leathers that are good for purses and. Uh, when I was more flush with cash and I was going to my local leather supplier more often, I would often buy things because, oh, this is pretty. Let's, you know, and I happen to have a couple hundred bucks. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so I did, uh, I did manage to sock up. Uh, same with the hardware. If I do order hardware online, if I need two pieces of this hardware for a project, I sort of anticipate that I might be making another one. So I just ordered like six of it. And then again, goes into my bins, and now I've got like oodles and oodles and oodles of hardware. So you can, yeah, I remember when, was it you that was, it was, I, one of my leatherworking friends was like buying buckles. That was me. Was like, it was, it was you. That was okay, me. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I'm just going to buy a bunch of these because I need them anyway. And it's like, do, you, do, well, I'm just going to use them later. They'll just get used. It's fine. It's all the buckles I have. I love that you, I do the same thing with beads because I still make a lot of beaded bracelets and beaded jewelry. And it's like, oh, I need I need a bead or this this stone. I need like two pieces of it and I'll still buy three or four strings of it. I'm like, eh, hey, you never know. You never know. And it's gotten to the point now where I can make just about anything anyone's going to ask me for. And Mm -hmm. I, I haven't had to buy beads unless it's a super specific stone. I haven't had to buy beads in months. I buy them every once in a while. I'll see something that catches my eye. I'm like, I'll be able to use that later. Let me get a P let me get a string or two of those. 
but yeah, it's the same thing. You, you kind of like, oh, I'll stock up now and then I don't have to think about it later. It's kind of cool that you can r- basically run your business just on the stuff you've accumulated. Um, do you, do you worry that one day you're going to run out or is it just, there's just so much that you don't even have to think about that at all? I mean, I kind of like, I'm looking forward to when I run out of some of my leather, just because I do want to get to a point where I can invest in some of the really nice expensive stuff. Because I think Mm -hmm. like, I'm sort of at that point where it's my limiting factor on my quality for some things. Mm. Like almost like I've outgrown the quality of some of the leather or I bought it years and years ago and now I realize that I may not ever use it um but I I cannot buy new leather right now when I have so much I mean again unless it was something really specific but even then it might be a hard sell just because I mean if if somebody says oh I would like a purse but I would like it in green Mm -hmm. it's sort of hard to buy an entire side of green leather because it's just that piece of leather is going to cost more than I'm going to make on this purse. And who's to say I'm ever going to, someone's ever going to want that specific green for anything else again. Chances are they won't. Yeah. <laughs> Chances are they won't. <laughs> but with thing with things like black and brown, you can, it's a pretty safe bet that you can stay stocked on those. Do you, do, I don't know, like I don't work with leather. That, I mean, I have, I'm literally looking, as I say that I'm looking at a side that I got at Tandy. I got a really good price on it. And I, I, I can only buy veg tan cause that's what works in my laser. I know I'm a cheater, but is, the, it, does it get, does it like, can, how long can you keep it? I don't even know. Like, did, does it just, I just keep this for, do I have to ever think about, Hey, you've had this a really long time, do something with it or give it to somebody. Or is it just that eh, just keep it, use it when you use it. So the the first thing is that you should keep it away from light because the light will darken it. And it, mm-hmm. if you have it stored in a way where only the portion of it is sticking out, it'll get tan lines. Mm. And Good I mean, if, <laughs> if you're going to be dyeing it black or brown or something dark anyways, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Or if you're going to be oiling it, then you can sort of get rid of that pretty quick. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it will darken with age. Okay. And the other thing is that it will dry out. So you like, depending on your environment, like even where I keep my leather right now, I'm sort of considering setting up a humidifier or something, uh, not like not right near the shelf, but sort of in the general area mm-hmm. and just try to, cause I mean, it, if the air is always dry, it's going to dry out the leather and then it, it is eventually going to, uh, going to lower the quality of it. That's one thing I don't have to worry about here. <laughs> I'm sitting here as sweat drips down my arm. Ah, no, it's definitely not dry here. <laughs> That's not a problem. If you had to give someone advice, because I always like to ask people that have a unique or specific skill and yours being leather work, you know, if you had to give people advice on how to get started and what to start with and how to how to kind of break the ice on turning this into something what would you what would you tell someone that was just starting out and just trying to figure out if they even liked it or what they should be doing what was your what would be your advice even to Tennille 16 years ago when you started doing this stuff well Tennille 16 years ago wouldn't have cared but the advice that I do find myself giving people <laughs> um, is uh like honestly for this like mm-hmm. don't don't try too hard. I'm finding there's a lot of people, like there's a ton of people who've picked picked up leatherwork as a hobby during COVID. Mm-hmm. And they want to be like they'll see they'll look on Instagram and they'll see somebody who is selling 
wallet after wallet after wallet for 200 bucks each. And they're like, oh, that's easy. I can do that. And then when it doesn't happen right away, they get really discouraged and frustrated. And it's just like you need to you need to spend the time and develop your style and develop your skills. And, you know, I don't want to say pay your dues, but I mean, you, you have to sort of you have there to is a certain amount is, of that, though. There yeah, is a certain sure. amount of that. Sure. Like you got to realize that this if it was this easy, everybody would be doing it. But right now everybody is doing it. So for one. <laughs> But that means there's more competition then, right? Like it means that you got to be better and better and better at what you're doing in order to get yourself to the top and, and visible. And there's just so many things involved with that. So, so again, like people will make a bunch of sales to their friends and family and then they'll get so excited and then all of a sudden they've exhausted their friends and family and now they're having trouble getting sales to other people and, and they get disheartened and I see like like a crash really really quickly and that's uh yeah. you know you just you have to treat it like a like a creative hobby and mm-hmm. you know develop your skills and develop your style and just sort of let it happen organically it's interesting you it's interesting you talk about you just talked about um you know you see people making these $200 wallets and you want to start doing it and you're like whatever and it kind of reminds me of what Jimmy DeResta was saying on making it, I think it was this week or last week, where he was talking about people who, people who, you know, to get in YouTube now is very difficult. It used to be a lot easier. You can get on YouTube for doing a backflip and really take off. He goes, and now it's like you have to do two consecutive backflips in a row. And that that's like your, that's your lowest performing video. It used to be that would go viral. Now it's like, it doesn't even register. And it's, you know, it's again, it's kind of like putting in the reps and being in a crowded space. Sometimes the space is very crowded and you don't get noticed. That's just the way it is. You just Mm -hmm. can't, you can't get traction when there's a lot of people around you. Um, But it was also interesting. You just said exhausting your friends and family because I had that. I had that when I started doing, when I started doing woodwork and jewelry making, I started that also. Like I would, I was booming. I was like, oh, everyone I know wants something. This is amazing. And then there was like a, a like a blank for a couple of months where there was like a transition where everyone I knew that wanted something had ordered something already. And I was just, I was done with them. Now it was time to go back to the, oh, okay, now I have to start finding actual customers. <laughs> yeah. There's almost a gap in that, like where you realize you've run out of people you know to sell to and you have to start finding people you don't know to sell to. <laughs> and again, that's where it gets hard because especially mm-hmm. with, with COVID and with everybody picking it up, it's hard. You know, if you want to make a wallet and you want to get it out there and get it visible, it better be super nice and it better be like really unique and like it's just... It, it, it's gotta it's gotta stand out in some way and it's so hard like I kind of feel bad for people and I mean even I struggle with that I used to do I used to make a lot more sales than I do now mm-hmm. but now your main selling point is your overall quality it's like yeah you can get something made cheap by this guy who's been making it for five minutes or you can get one of mine look at the difference <laughs> yeah and I that uh and I'm glad that I'm at that level to be honest mm-hmm it's a good spot to be in, especially for someone who has an artisanal craft, right? You don't want to be at the spot where, oh, no, it's a race to the bottom. That's the one thing I always say that about Etsy, and I don't think people realize it until they're in the thick of it selling on Etsy. 
you don't realize how you are in a race to the bottom the minute you put your stuff on Etsy. Like you just are. If you're okay with that, fine. Put your stuff on Etsy and go for it. Have fun. Make your sales. Do the best you can. But you are in a race to the bottom because people will completely price shop. In fact, I'm looking at someone selling something on Etsy right now as we're talking and I'm seeing similar items and none of the similar items are from this seller except for like one. There's a bunch of them from another seller. It's like, oh, okay. So if your pricing is where it should be based on the work you put in, the materials you use, well, somebody's still selling it cheaper and that's where people are going to do. They're going to go, oh, and the price is very prominent. I'm just going to click over there and buy it. So. Oh, oh and absolutely. And uh, just like the final point for for me is um, I do my sewing by hand, which adds substantial time to my projects. Mm-hmm. And if I want to pay myself a reasonable wage, you know, the, the hand sewing can really be a make or break for a lot of people. And I just have to find clients that appreciate hand sewing mm-hmm. and, you know, and aren't just looking for the cheapest option of that thing. Well, it's all hand, right? I mean, it, it, everything yeah. is hand. Like it's it this it's weird because you know you can you can there's so much mass produced stuff out there that you kind of lose track of what handmade stuff looks like. Mm-hmm. But you know, I see something with I have a bracelet that I wear uh, a couple of them that I wear every day. They're leather bracelets. They have the infinity. I laser engraved it in because I don't know how to do anything with leather yet. But you know, if somebody saw that bracelet and then they saw your version of that bracelet, well, yours was yours would clearly be more expensive. You would probably burnish the edges, which I never did on these. <laughs> they were the first things I ever made. You would you would hand stamp the infinities on it. You would probably do some kind of stitching on it and add another piece to the back so that the suede isn't sitting on the skin. I you would do a lot right that I didn't do right on these, right? But the average person's just gonna go, I don't know, Vincent's is like six bucks <laughs> you know tedeals t- is like 30 i'm not sure i want to pay 30 bucks for a leather oh, bracelet. to, to, to even be fair th- Vinny, even 30, 30 might be a little uh a little <laughs> low there <laughs> all right 50 canadian but Tenniel, i'm and, and i'm and i'm sorry for for talking over you but do you do no machine stitching at all it's all hand stitching yeah all it's all all by hand that's that's great that's that's incredible like i mean just the the care of the craftsmanship. I mean, if you know, and you know, coming from like a business perspective, you don't want the client if they don't understand the value of the product they're buying from you. And I know that I know that's tough, but I mean, you know, it's again, you know, hearing you talk and hearing, you know, your very clear like passion for the work that you're doing and and the quality of your work. I mean, it's, you know, anyone who, who knows what they're doing they're you know, they, they better buy from you. I mean, that that's, I mean, I would buy, your leather goods over Vin- Vinny's any day of the week. So I, mean, I, I would hope you would. I mean, <laughs> listen, that's that's not a tough decision to make. Trust me. <laughs> I don't know. I I struggle with those with those sorts of decisions, Vin. But no, and I'm sorry. You're you're get your garbage leather work out of here. I'm sorry. <laughs> you um. That is that is the, that is the differentiator. And it's funny you say that, Chris, because Tennille, I've been around for you having discussions about you being annoyed with the people that are around you because they want so much for so little. And, you know, especially the people in your area. And I believe at one point you said, screw the people in this area. I hate them all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Winnipeggers are the worst. Like, (laughs) I I mean, obviously every town has, you know, will claim this, but Winnipeggers are so cheap. Mm -hmm. Like they're so cheap. It's, we make fun of ourselves for being like that, but (laughs) 
Like, if you go on, like, the Winnipeg subreddit, all it is is, like, what's the cheapest and best? What's the cheapest and best? Uh, <laughs> cheapest and best. Like, that, so that's all this- that ever, anybody ever wants. It's like, no, you get one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> this this feels like a good segue, Vinny, if I may. Uh, I'd love to talk about the Canadian niceness myth. Um, <laughs> I feel like it's just really good marketing, and it sounds like you're confirming that for me. <laughs> What do you think, Tanil? Yeah, Tanil. Canadians, nice or not? Um, I mean, I certainly know people who are in Canada who are nice. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And see, I don't know. The only Americans that I know personally are like the guys from our makers group on Discord, yeah. and mm-hmm. you guys all seem pretty sensible. So, I mean. <laughs> Judgment. There are times where we're not, but yeah, for the most part, we are. Sure, sure. So, by that very small, but like by that very small pool, that would mean <laughs> Canadians are actually worse. Okay, yeah, I can I, listen. I I endorse the findings of this survey. I'm I'm on board. <laughs> I'm so fucking. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I will say this. I will say this. The Canadian people that I know, in general, are way more willing to accept responsibility in an argument. Like, I've noticed that, like, oh. the like a Canadian person, and I know we're talking about Canadians, like there isn't one in the room, but <laughs> hear me out for a second. The Canadians I know, if you get into a fight with them... They'll be like, yeah, you're probably right. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. It's the ones I know, and like you said, maybe it's just I have a, a select, a self-selecting group, and they're like this. But it is funny because I do feel like, oh, that's a trick to just make me feel bad for having a fight with you, isn't it? Like <laughs> I know that psychology. was Stephen. <laughs> you're, you're, you're understanding. No, I, I've, I've, I know plenty of Canadians, and and like half of them are good. <laughs> that's I'll, not I'll, a bad ratio actually yeah, i mean i'll take the coin flip it's fine tenille you're added to my list of canadians you're on the nice side oh yes oh yes tenille, on chris's nice list Ooh, and chris has a very short nice list i just oh, want you to true. know it's true <laughs> Vinny's not even on it no i'm not i'm, I'm still wor- i've been working for 15 years to get on his nice list so. <laughs> <laughs> wow that is um there we go so we've shattered the we've shattered the myth of canadian we've niceness shattered the myth. <laughs> Thanks to Tanil. Thank you. Tanil is a mythbuster and she doesn't even know it. <laughs> so this is interesting because right around now is around the time we would do our things of the week. But and normally we let our guests go first, but we kind of technically have two guests. Oh. So I mean we have a guest host and we have a guest guest. So I don't know which one. So I'll tell you what. Which one of you wants to go first and go for it? <laughs> oh, I insist, Tanil. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the polite Canadian thing to do would be to also insist that Chris goes first. Oh, no. We're, we're going to have a 20-minute back and forth trying to decide then, who's going to go first. And then somebody has to just say, sorry, sorry. Okay, right. well, sorry, I'm going first. <laughs> okay. All right, Tenille, you're up. All right, so uh, when I'm doing leatherwork, I usually pick a YouTube channel to just binge while I... While I uh, do my leather work mm-hmm. and uh one of my favorite my current favorite channel right now is um ask a mortician i don't know if you guys have ever seen that <laughs> i 
YouTube just suggested me one of his videos like a couple of days ago, and it was something like, why is why are coffins so expensive or something like that? That was like one of his recent videos. Oh, uh, uh, her, for uh, Caitlin? Oh, okay, so this will be somebody else then. Okay, forget it. Never mind. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> This, this is a genre, Vinny, because I, Lauren, my wife, uh, <laughs> I'm a larger guy, right? I'm a bigger guy. And she sent me, I, I feel like it was somebody who's using the username Ask a Mortician on TikTok. I don't know if it's the same person, <laughs> but the question was, uh, can, can fat people cause grease fires when they're being cremated? <laughs> and it was... <laughs> Oh dear! And the answer the answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> the answer is yes. That's even better than the question. The answer is yes. That's awesome. Oh, I love it. So, what's this? What what's the? I mean, I I kind of get an I I kind of have an idea, but what's the gist of the channel? Is it like dumb questions, or is it like legitimate? Like, oh, that's an interesting question. Like, what's the channel like? So it's this woman. Her name is Caitlin uh, Doty. Mm -hmm. And uh, she has sort of various uh, playlists. So she'll do historical doc, like she'll do documentaries on historical deaths. Like she did one on the Black Plague and she'll do them on like, like more modern stuff. Um, I'm just looking at her list now. There's one she's got about the, um, that rugby team that crashed in the Andes. Oh, jeez. All sorts of different stuff. Um, like how cremation was invented essentially. Well, by West, you know, by, um, um, I guess Western, uh, which is this one here. The video is just called America's First Cremation. Um, it's quite, quite good. She has like, like one about Waco and different things, but then she's also got where she'll just answer questions from fans and, you know, from her supporters and, uh, and she's, she's got quite she's an a audience. She's, she's got 1.6 million subs. That's not bad. Yeah, she's she's really great, and she's uh she's big into like green burials, and she's an advocate for like what your rights are when you know it, it, when your loved one passes away. She's big into like have the conversations and know what your rights are because some funeral directors will take advantage of you, and you don't have to do this even if they tell you, then they're lying. And and uh, yeah, she's just and then she's got her iconic corpse um playlist which is one of my favorite and again she just talks about famous people who have died and their corpses just stuck around like she's got one on Graham Parsons uh yeah just it's just really interesting stuff and she's got a very funny sense of humor about it yeah cool she's got a she's got a lot of videos too she has a lot of videos up that's that's good so you this would be a good channel to binge watch just even if you're just using it as background noise, because there's just so much going on, you start it and you just let it go and let it go and let it go. Like one I watched today, uh, the title of the video is called, Is It Legal to Mummify Your Cult Leader? And it's about a cult leader from the States very recently uh, who died and then their followers took them and like took their body and did a bunch of weird stuff to it as part of their ritual. And then it became a gray area legally because like, is this desecration of the corpse? But then this is what she wanted done with it. Mm. <laughs> really like mm. just interesting stuff. Wow. Yeah, this is, I'm looking at the, t I will say this much. I will say this much. Even if the videos aren't good, her use of titling is epic. She has 
epic titles on her videos. One based on what we were just talking about would die. You know, if you're fat and you get cremated, would you cause a grease fire? Um, one of her videos, one of her recent ones, well, not one of her older ones is called dying fat, your funeral options. Like, wow, what an awkward conversation to have to have with somebody. It's like, listen, we have to have the talk. What's the talk? Well, y- y- you're kind of fat. It's going to be that, expensive like- to bury your ass. <laughs> Her whole thing is just making these conversations as easy as possible and just, you know, making sure that everybody is informed before, you know, before you have to learn these things when you're also grieving. (laughs) I was, when I did real estate, when I did real estate, I sold a house to a guy. Um, I was working on selling a house to a guy. Didn't actually sell the house. Someone else that I worked with did, but it's fine, whatever. I worked with the guy too. And we found out that he worked at one of the funeral homes in the area. And, you know, we got to talk and he's like, yeah, no one ever, no one ever plans for a funeral. <laughs> That's the best part of it. Like, How is that the best part? The best part is they come in desperate. Like, hey, there's a dead body and we need to deal with it. So what can you do for me and how much is it going to cost? And you could give them any number. And it's like, what are they going to say? No. <laughs> like, No, that's the number. And most of the time people get what they want. So. Yeah, this is a good one, Tanil. I've never heard of this channel, and I think I'm probably going to have to check it out now. Um, good one. Not Thank bad. You. Not bad. Chris, All your right, thing so of the week, sir. I have two things now. Ooh. Uh, my Chris first is like thing... a pro. Chris is like a pro. He's like, he really is replacing Ethan. Jesus Christ. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> so I have two things. Thing number one is regret. I should have gone first. Um, <laughs> because I cannot follow that one up that was great uh my actual thing is not nearly as entertaining or exciting as uh these (laughs) tremendous mortician videos Uh, (laughs) i mentioned earlier i'm a technologist and you know sometimes i need tools to do things and one thing that i've never kept is uh a soldering iron just because they are you use them so infrequently they're just taking up space on your bench, on your counter. Uh, and more often than not, I'm like, you know, if I, if I or people that I work with are doing any soldering, they're doing soldering out in the field. Like we don't always have the luxury to like take something back to a bench. And I've never really found like a reliable, like portable soldering solution. And mm-hmm. uh, I saw this on TikTok this week and I just, Loved it. Uh, the link that I found, though, is for this guy in Australia. Uh, you know, so I'll share that link with you now. But this is a 3D printed mount for a soldering iron that clips on to like a drill battery pack. And it's just like, this is incredible. Like, this is a game changer, like for anybody who like needs to like do spot like soldering on anything like be a technology or whatever else. Like, it's just so cool. It's so clever. Um, it like, you don't have to like carry an obscene amount of equipment. It just clips on the battery that you already have with the other tools that you're using. And you just do the soldering. I, I just thought it was really, really neat. And again, my first thing regret should have gone first, but this is, <laughs> cool. this is, this is really, really clever because if you think, you know, as someone who does electronics, I look at this, I'm like, this is such a simple idea. How did no one think of this already? And yet I'm looking at it going, hmm, I got DeWalt batteries. This would be cool. <laughs> like, this is this is one of those really, really neat ideas. And this is why, you know, 
people think 3D printing is for like printing tchotchkes and putting crap on your shelf. And there Real are some stuff. practical uses for 3D Real printing. stuff. Yeah. This and, is yeah. neat. Yeah, I I loved it when I saw it. I watched the TikTok five times and then I <laughs> didn't save the link because I'm a dumb person. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, yeah, but this, yeah, it, it's just so clever. Like you said, how, how did nobody think of this before? It's just so clever. You know, it's good. You know, it's good. Um, in a couple of, uh, I actually wait, I think next, yeah, next week we're actually having a guest from Australia on. So um, maybe I'll um, put in the good word with him and maybe he can get us a couple of these. <laughs> just, we'll ship them all at once. Why not? Right. Let me know. You know, American um, dollars go real far in Australia. That's oh, for sure. I'm all about covert import export activity. Let's let's it, do it. Exactly. And let's announce it on the podcast too. Let's make it <laughs> make it official. <laughs> yeah. This well, is great. This, this is just a for, really good you know, one. just for our FBI friends. Uh <laughs> and I don't know. What is it up in Canada? Our RCMP pals. Yep. RCMP uh, this, County this Mountain. Is jo- <laughs> this is a joke for legal purposes. This is a joke. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, this is just purely for entertainment purposes. No, uh, no warranties implied or expressed yet. I am just playing a character. (laughs) This is not real. Name isn't even Chris Roberts. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. I will definitely have the link to that in the show notes because that is something I have a feeling that a lot of, especially like, I mean, the only battery system, sorry, Adam, but the only battery system not represented in this group is Ryobi, and that's because Ryobi has a stemmed battery. But, you know, there's Makita, there's Milwaukee, there's um, Hikoki slash Hitachi slash Metabo, and there's DeWalt. I mean, that's pretty much all of them. So very, very cool. Oh, yeah, no Rigid either, but I don't know what kind of batteries Rigid uses, but who the hell cares? No one uses Rigid tools anyway. Um, All right. Uh, my thing of the week is also a tool <laughs> and it's not me. <laughs> um, I have a, a, so a long time ago, a long time ago, way back, way, way, way back in the days. Um, there was a time where I fix it was sponsoring every freaking podcast on the planet. They are, they were basically the raid shadow legends of technology podcasts. And I got, I got really hooked on the idea of a quality, um, quality screwdriver set with like the security bits and the miniature like hex bits and all those bits that everybody always needs, but nobody ever has. And I saw this set and it was um, a 64 piece kit from iFixit, And I was like, all right, let's see how good this kit really is. Right. And I opened it up and everything in this damn thing is metal. The, the screwdriver is, there's no plastic on it. It's completely metal. The tips are heavy. Like they're nicely made. It's a really, really nice set. I've taken apart um, game consoles with it because it has all those silly security bits that like Nintendo, it has a game bit, two different game bit drivers in it. It has the ones with the pins, the two pins that you can just turn. It, every bit you can imagine for doing precision work is in this kit and it's 35 bucks. It's almost a no brainer to order it. it. It has everything you need. It's called the Mako. It's um, 64 bits and, you know, you can actually look on the website and just see what they have available as far as the different bits that come with it. But if you're looking for a really high quality precision screwdriver set, I actually have two of them. I have one up here where I, you know, where my jewelry shop is and I have another one downstairs in my regular shop because I don't want to have to go back up and run up and down the stairs to get it. I use them that much that it makes sense to have two of them. It's a great tool if you're into that kind of thing, if you like taking stuff apart. 
there's pretty much nothing you can't take apart with this kit. So highly recommend it. $34.99. We don't have a code because we're not cool enough to get a code for MyFixit. So I will have the link to that in the show notes. And if you buy one, let me know that you like it. And for what it's worth, I have this kit. And it's you do. tremendous. It is freaking fantastic. It's amazing. It's the best set of precision screwdrivers I have ever owned. And I, I literally mean that. I've never had a higher quality set of small screwdrivers. Bigger screwdrivers, a whole other story. But small screwdrivers, absolutely fantastic. So I would highly, highly recommend them. You know who else I would highly recommend? I would highly recommend the people that support this podcast financially because they are what keeps this podcast going. Those people include... Leanne and Nick from Hemlock and Hyde, Dave from Atomic Airship Works, Emily Joyce, Ed from Ed's Clocks and More, Rory from RLL Woodworks, Chris from Full Steam Designs, Jeff Stein, aka A Weird Guy, Debbie Haddock, Jerry Hyduke, Joey from JH Custom Woodcraft, Dean Duplantis, Jacob Anguiano from Native Sun Woodart, Robert J. Keller, Scott from Daddy Yourself DIY, the one and only Grant Alexander, one of those nice Canadians we were talking about earlier. Tony Langer from Langerworks, Jacob from Other Dog Designs, Jake from imakejake.com, Big Al Schultz from New York Woodworks, Al is my savior and one of the coolest people I know, and bro, I really appreciate you, and you know what you did, and thank you. Justin Ofler, aka Bear Maked, and Greg from Platte Valley Woodworks. You guys, we really appreciate the support. If you can't support the show financially, of course, sharing the show, letting other people know about it, writing a review, that all goes a really long way toward getting the podcast out to other people. And you know what? If you can't do anything, thank you at least for listening. I'll take that too. <laughs> Tanil, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. It was a it was a pleasure being here. This is the first podcast I've been on, so I'm glad it went well. Wait, 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 you wait, 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 wait. You said the magic words. You said the magic words. We were your first podcast. Yes, you were. <laughs> That is my favorite thing. I, I, you know, I've said it. I've said it a lot in the last few episodes, but I love those words. I love when somebody says, "I almost feel like, oh, we've discovered someone." And it's not like you needed to be discovered, but it's kind of a cool feeling. Oh, how how has nobody asked you to be on a podcast yet? So it's just absolutely fantastic. And you know, the running joke in the Discord, the running joke in the Discord, of course, is that I'm totally, completely in love with you. So. <laughs> It was great to actually get to just talk to you without all the clutter of all those other people around. I mean, except for Chris, but Chris isn't clutter. He's part of the, he's part of the, uh, I know, I know when to sit back and enjoy. Sometimes (laughs) a good podcast needs to have the listener represented on. Oh my God. It's yeah. The interactions, the interactions that we have that discord, by the way, is one of the, one of the best things ever. It really is like, there are some really good people in there and I'm really glad that I got to meet you all those many months ago and it's it's been a lot of fun getting to know you it's been a lot of fun knowing you so yeah likewise that uh that group has been one of the most enjoyable things i've had in the last year in, in a year with very few enjoyable things yes <laughs> <laughs> um thank you so much for popping by and being on the show and chris yes it, it just felt like old times didn't it <laughs> oh, i did it yeah you know what if you ever want to do a show that's not about this. You let me know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little worried that people are going to try to find our previous work. <laughs> so. uh, it's it's out there, but boy, oh boy, you got to dig. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely going to have to dig. And just know that the person you know now is definitely more the person that I am. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. And- Actually, come to think of it, so is Chris. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, I take a lot of credit for uh, softening Vinny's edges. You did. Yeah, I've yeah. I've told, but I've told people that like I I definitely think there was there's a been a per, there's a major personality shift that happened with me and just yeah. philosophical shift and I definitely am happier today than I ever was back and, then. And so. and I'm happy to see you happy. So Aww. I'm glad to see you here. I love it. Let's just have a big kumbaya. Oh. Let's all just just a group hug. Just so a group nice. Hug. You know, so a nice. triangular group hug. <laughs> a menage hug. A menage hug. There we go. No, the menage right. hug. It would be hug a trois, um, Vin. Come on. <laughs> Damn it. I missed the branding. <laughs> Tenille, um, is there any place you want to send people? Um, any place that you want people to find you? Any place that people can look you up online? Any place that uh, any place where they can find your stuff, buy your stuff, hopefully? Yes. So uh, rosamdesigns.com is my current mm-hmm. uh, website. Also just rosamdesigns.com. Uh, on Instagram. You're very active on Instagram. I love it. I love it. You're always doing something there. It's pretty great. Yeah, thank you. That's uh again, it's I'm just trying to, you know, get my stuff out there and keep active and, you know, build a uh build a following and such. There you go. That's the key to it, right? You, that's you can't if you make stuff and put it out there and nobody's watching you, are you making stuff and putting it out there? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you can put it out there, but if nobody sees it, what's the point, right? Mm-hmm. You, you're doing you're doing great stuff, and I'm really excited to see this. I this new business focused Tennille is just been a, a joy to watch, and it's been really nice seeing you expand your horizons and learn new things. And I mean, just to give you guys an idea, like there was one, there was a couple of weeks ago where Tennille was taking product photos and Dave and I, who have a lot of experience doing this kind of stuff, were just like, Hey, try this, try this, try this, you know, try this. And you caught on to stuff so quick. And I'm just so excited. Like, wow, just that little bit of like nudging in the right direction. You just came away with such a freaking understanding of it. And I'm like, wow, she is just going to be way past what I know, like very soon. So congratulations and good luck. Um, good luck going forward. I hope the business really takes off for you and I hope you never have to go to a job for another human being ever again. <laughs> yeah. And th- yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is, this has been really wonderful. And that's going to do it for this week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And I know we, for, for once I actually did something I never do, which is slip and mention that we have a guest, a special guest, an international guest next week, but I'm not telling you who you'll have to figure it out. And until then, have a great week, everybody. We will be back again next week. I, Ethan should be back from Rwanda. I hope so. But if not, well, maybe we'll have another surprise co-host. Ooh. Who knows? Ooh. But either way, you'll find out then. Have a great week.